mornings as a reminder as we find our way there that on Sunday nights we go through the Bible Genesis to Revelation and uh, we'll look to finish the book of Micah this evening so and uh, Revelation uh, pretty easy to find last book in the Bible chapter 4 and then we'll give you something a little bit harder and that is to turn to the left in your Bible uh, to 1st Thessalonians chapter 4 as well We'll read a couple of verses from each passage. Let's start in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter uh, 4, verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep or died, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. And after these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. And John writes, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the time that we've already enjoyed in worshiping you in spirit and in truth and, and how you always use that. Not only um, is we're able to offer you the praise and the glory that you're due, but you always use it to lift our heads off of our own personal circumstances, the circumstances of the world. You give us the big picture of what is, is happening around us, and that's what you're doing. And we pray that you would continue that work through your word this morning and by your Holy Spirit in each one of our lives. Replace, Lord, this uh, domination of the present with a hope and a confidence and a comfort concerning the eternal future that is ours as your children. And we pray and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. In chapter 4, verse 1 uh, of the Revelation, it marks the beginning of the third and the final division of uh, the book of Revelation. It begins the final of the three uh, divisions of the Revelation. You might ask, how in the world uh, do we know that? And we know that based upon the outline that Jesus himself has provided to us in order to understand uh, this book. And he's provided it to us in chapter 1. You might turn there and read it as he uh, instructed the Apostle John in Revelation chapter 1 verse 19 write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this and so Jesus told John to write down three things and as a result this book is made up of those three things number one Uh, He told them to write the things that you have seen. And what had John seen? He had seen the events of chapter 1. And then he said, write the things which are, which refer to the time in which John uh, was living. And incidentally, we continue to live in as Christians today. That is the church age. That time in uh, uh, human history, that time that spans from the birth of the church following Jesus' death, burial, and His resurrection all the way to the rapture of the church before the tribulation period which is in the future. And the church age is encapsulated in Jesus' seven letters to the seven churches uh, which we just studied in chapters 2 and 3. 
He told uh, John additionally to write the things which will take place after this. And after this, in that Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, uh, after this is the words metatauta. And, uh, and chapter 4, verse 1 begins with that very exact phrase. After these things, in chapter 4, verse 1, the very same words, metatauta. And so uh, this refers to that part of man's history that will take place after the church age, following what is known as the rapture of the church, and uh, that is the tribulation period and beyond that, and uh, that time in human history that's encapsulated in uh, chapters uh, 4 through 22 uh, here in the Revelation that constitutes the remainder of the book. If we were to uh, abandon this outline that Jesus gives to us uh, related to the book of Revelation, we would have no hope of understanding it at all. Uh, we would uh, try and figure this book out on our own. Uh, we would pretty soon come to the conclusion that it's incomprehensible, uh, that it's anything but a revelation. It is a, a hidden book, and there's no sense in trying to understand it. Or on the other end of the extreme, we would feel the freedom without this uh, outline given to us to take every kind of harebrained uh, pot shot that might come into our minds in terms of uh, trying to explain the uh, uh, what it is the, the book is, is talking about. And, and so he gives us that, the outline, so that we don't fall prey to either of those extremes. Now the call of uh, John to come up into heaven, as, uh, as is recorded here in verses 1 and 2, uh, he is in the island of Patmos at the moment, and uh, his physical body remains there at the island, but his spirit is taken up into heaven. It's very much like what will happen at the rapture of the church. All Christians in the world at that time, at the moment of the rapture, uh, except that uh, at the moment of the rapture, the Christians will enter into heaven fully. Uh, not merely in spirit, but with a resurrected body, and, and as a result, I believe uh, what happens to John and happened to him here in verse 1 is a type or a picture of what will happen to all Christians in a, in a, a greater measure at the time of the rapture. Now, the events for John as he is experiencing what he experienced in verses 1 and 2, you notice, he heard a voice speaking to him with the loudness and the clarity of a trumpet. And uh, the voice cried out to him, come up here. He is summoned into the very throne room of, of God. And then it was declared to him, I will show you things which must take place after this. After what? After the church age. After the description of that in chapters 2 and three. And so John was then called into heaven to then witness here now the seven-year tribulation period from the vantage point, not of earth, but from the vantage point of heaven, the preferred uh, vantage point by uh, the way. And immediately as a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, uh, he's caught up into heaven uh, in, in, the, in that supernatural a work of God in his life. Now, since our understanding of the rapture and the timing of it uh, related to the tribulation is uh, absolutely pivotal to understanding the remainder of the book of Revelation, and we're studying it on Sunday morning, so we'll want to understand it, uh, we need to spend some time laying a little bit of a foundation here for all of this especially for those of us who are kind of new to all of this. We're going to get into the weeds. I'll just let you know that ahead of time. And there may be portions of this you don't understand or may be confusing to you if it's your first exposure or fifth exposure to these kind of things. But little by little, these 
these things will uh, come together for you and they'll become a working uh, part of your understanding of God and your relationship uh, with God. So it's worth the effort. Now, a little bit of biblical background uh, concerning all of this. The Bible teaches that there is a great tribulation that is going to come upon the earth yet uh, in uh, the future in terms of human history. Jesus spoke of it in Matthew chapter 24, verse 21. For there will be a great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. In other words, this great tribulation period will be a, something that you won't want to be around to experience. Then in chapters 4 through 19 of the Revelation, we have a description of that tribulation period. And in earnest, it, uh, it begins in chapter 6 uh, through uh, chapter 19. And this tribulation is a seven-year period in which God is going to pour out His considerable wrath upon a world that has chosen sin over Him, living in rebellion against Him, and has committed the greatest sin that any individual human being or a world uh, can commit against Him, and that is uh, to reject His Son and the salvation that's found in Him. You might, uh, we might look at that sometimes in the world and think that that's kind of a small thing, but imagine what an affront that is from uh, the vantage point of, uh, of heaven uh, to reject the very Son of God and the salvation that He offers. Now, the seven-year tribulation period is referred to as a time of God's wrath. And I'm not going to read these three verses to you, but if you're taking notes, you might jot them down because I'll refer to them later. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, the tribulation is referred to as a time of wrath. God did not appoint us to wrath. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 through 10 speaks about the wrath to come and describing this period. In Revelation chapter 6, at the end of that chapter, uh, verse 15, I will read this one. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Uh, now, I don't know the last time uh, you've incurred the wrath of a lamb. I think it takes a lot to tick a lamb off. Uh, but we're accomplishing uh, that in the world presently. And so it's the wrath of the lamb for the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand. And since these same passages teach that as Christians we are not appointed to wrath, since we are no longer living in rebellion uh, to God, uh, all of the wrath that our sin deserves has been borne by Jesus uh, upon uh, the cross. Because of our faith in Jesus Christ, we have to be removed from the world uh, prior to this tribulation period. Now, let me read First uh, uh, Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9 to you uh, at this point. For God did not appoint us to wrath as Christians, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And now the, the fullness of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had uh, to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And then here it is. And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. And the event that removes us from this world and takes us into heaven before the tribulation period 
is known as the rapture uh, of the church. The most famous passage, or well-known passage in the Bible relating to the rapture of the church is as we read there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, where we are told at the time of, of the rapture, Christians uh, will experience not a type of the rapture, as John is experiencing here in chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, but the rapture itself. And uh, again, let me uh, read to you 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with Him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord that is in heaven and therefore comfort one another with these words. And so, uh, what is this uh, rapture of, of the church as Paul describes it here? Uh, the Lord Himself will descend from heaven uh, with a shout and take us up into the glory of heaven. In that moment of the rapture, we will see something immediately. And the something or the someone we will see will be Jesus Himself. Jesus declare, uh, Paul declares to us that we'll also hear something as he describes the rapture. Jesus will shout something. And the word that is used for shout here in that passage, it is often used of an authoritative utterance. It's an, an order like the command of a military uh, officer to his, his soldiers. Now we don't know exactly what it is that uh, he's going to shout to us what, he, uh, what we will hear him say to us at the moment of the rapture, but if I were a betting man, I would guess he shouts something like what is said to John in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, something like, come up here, or let me get you out of there, or something uh, comparable to that. There'll also be added to this, Paul tells us, the voice or the communication of an archangel in the mixed is going to be the trumpet of God. Uh, trumpets are mentioned in the Old Testament frequently uh, in connection with times of festivity and triumph. And so everything about this description of the rapture, as Paul lays it out there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, is, points to a tremendous excitement. Uh, not only a tremendous excitement on our part related to the event, but a tremendous excitement on Jesus' part, on heaven's part related to, to uh, this event. I mean, we know we will be excited uh, if we're alive when this happens, but it's nice to know that Jesus is excited as well. And of course, He would be because He is a groom coming for uh, his bride. Now, in that uh, verse 17 of that First Thessalonians chapter 4 uh, passage, we, we jump to those who are alive and remain when the rapture occurs. They will be caught up or raptured to, into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And, they, and the word rapture carries the idea of being snatched up. It carries the idea of being seized uh, with, with suddenness, to be seized with force. Uh, and, and when Jesus comes to rapture uh, the church, it'll happen in an instant. Uh, it'll be in the twinkling of an eye, the Bible teaches, and it will be with a great force. One moment we will be doing whatever it is that we're doing here in this world, and then in the very next moment we'll be face to face with the Lord in the air. And that space between uh, heaven and earth as He then takes us into glory. And from that time forward, Paul says, we will always be with the Lord, never to be separated from Him uh, ever again. Now someone might object, as I've heard a time or two through the years, uh, about this talk concerning the rapture and say, hey, I tried to look up rapture in my Strong's Exhaustive Concordance or uh, whatever study tool it might uh, be used today, and, uh, and the word rapture isn't even in, in the Bible. And the problem is, you're reading the wrong Bible. 
uh, you ought to be reading the Latin Vulgate. Uh, because if you're reading the Latin Vulgate, you would find the word uh, rapture there. In the Greek, uh, as, as it's described here, in the English, Paul, what he calls, uh, uh, the word he uses uh, in English is to be caught up to describe this. It's a single word in the Greek, harpazo, and then in the Latin, it's rapturo. Well, I, I don't know, I'd rather be waiting for the rapture uh, than the harpazo. It just seems a little more dynamic to me. I don't know how you feel about it. Uh, but it's, it's a, a reference to exactly the same thing. And so the rapture of the church is the event that occurs when Jesus comes. He takes us up to be with Him before uh, God the Father pours out His wrath upon a world that has rejected His Son. I like Tommy Ice. Uh, uh, he, I think he puts it very nicely. The rapture is the translation of living believers to heaven without experiencing death in a moment in time. Now, uh, the $64,000 question or the million dollar question uh, for many Christians is not whether there's going to be a rapture of the church one day, because as we've seen, that's clearly taught. Uh, here in, in the Bible. The question is, when will the rapture take place? And there's three principal views that uh, Christians hold related to the timing of the rapture. There are some who believe that Christians will go through the seven-year tribulation period uh, and the rapture will take place at the end of the tribulation period, immediately before Jesus' second coming. And this view is known as the post-tribulation rapture uh, view. Then there's other Christians that believe that we will go through the first three and a half years of the tribulation period and uh, will be raptured at the midpoint of that tribulation uh, just before things get really, really bad. That's known as a mid-tribulation rapture view. And then there's people like me who believe that the Bible teaches Christians are going to be raptured prior to the great tribulation period, prior to the seven-year tribulation period, and uh, we are known as pre holding a pre-tribulation view. And I'm a thoroughly uh, pre-tribulation uh, guy, as I heard one speaker declare many years ago. He said, I'm so uh, pre-trib that I don't even eat post-toasties. <laughs> and uh, so those are my sentiments uh, exactly on, uh, on the view. But but not to be misunderstood. I understand that there are sincere Christians who hold a different view, um, might be post-trib or pre-wrath or, or, or mid-trib. Uh, mid I'm pre-tribulation uh, for what I think are very uh, solid biblical uh, reasons and uh, because I can't make sense of uh, prophecy as it's taught in the Bible in its entirety as it's re represented in the Bible on the basis of any other view than a pre-tribulation pre uh, rapture view. Now, Allow me to give you a, a, a several examples of this where why I think uh, the rapture is going to occur prior to the tribulation period. Uh, first, the context of the book of, of Revelation itself. It's interesting to realize that there isn't any mention of the church in Revelation chapters uh, 4 through 19, the chapters that have to do with the tribulation uh, period. It's significant that the word church is used 19 times in chapters 2 and 3 having to do with the seven churches and the church age, and then once again in chapter 22 in closing the book. But it is entirely absent in chapters 6 through 19, which describes specifically uh, the seven-year tribulation period. And so it seems incredible to me for the church to go through the tribulation and uh, not be mentioned once in the 14 chapters uh, that have to do with the tribulation period if we are uh, indeed present during that. Now someone who is well versed in these kind of things 
uh, might ask a very good question, and that is, well, what about the use of the word saints uh, in those chapters between chapters uh, 6 and 19? Saints used in chapter 13, verse 7 and 10, chapter 16, verse 6, chapter 17, verse 6, chapter 18, verse 24. And yes, the word saint is used in all of those places, but the question is, what saints are, uh, is God referring to here in those passages? Is He talking about Old Testament saints? Uh, is He talking about church-age saints? Or is He talking about tribulation saints? Those who get saved during the tribulation period. And my view is that He's referring to tribulation saints. The Bible teaches that during the seven-year tribulation uh, period, the gospel is going to be preached to the entire world uh, by means of angelic uh, beings during the tribulation period. Revelation chapter 4, verse 6. And then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. And the Bible, the book of Revelation also teaches that an innumerable uh, number of people will be, come to faith in Jesus Christ during that seven-year tribulation uh, period. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. And after these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, present in heaven, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? And John said to him, Sir, you know. And so he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Now, a second reason for a, a pre-tribulation uh, rapture view is again as we've seen the tribulation period is a time in which God pours his wrath out upon a world that has rejected him and is, is in rebellion uh, to him but again the Bible clearly teaches we are not appointed under wrath under God's wrath as Christians and from Revelation chapter 6, from the opening, and you might turn to Revelation uh, chapter 6 at this moment, from Revelation chapter 6, from the opening uh, uh, of the first of the seven uh, seals, you have the wrath of God being poured out. The first seal that constitutes the wrath of God uh, is the unveiling or the releasing of the Antichrist. It is important to realize that all seven seals represent the wrath of God. Uh, uh, and, uh, and not as some hold, well, the wrath of God begins at seal four, or it begins at seal five. No, all seven seals constitute uh, the wrath of God. And, and you notice at the, again at the end, as I read earlier, uh, verse 15 of chapter 6, And the kings of the earth, the rich men, the great men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves 
and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Uh, for the great day of His wrath has come, and who is uh, able to stand? And they speak concerning the wrath of God uh, in the totality of all seven uh, of, of the seals. And since the unveiling of the Antichrist is part of God's wrath, and we are not appointed to wrath, as Christians, we have to be removed from the world prior to chapter 6, prior to the breaking of that uh, first seal and the revelation of the Antichrist. Now this is a very, very large problem for the uh, mid-tribulation view or the post-tribulation view or the pre-wrath uh, uh, view, which teach that Christians will be on the earth at the same time uh, as the Antichrist. But again, uh, we are not appointed unto wrath. And all of this is completely consistent with Jesus' teaching uh, uh, to the church at Philadelphia as we studied it a few weeks ago uh, in, in Revelation chapter 3, uh, verse 10. And the promise that Jesus made to the church at Philadelphia that He would deliver them from the tribulation period. You notice in Revelation 3, verse 10, Jesus said, because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Now, both, both pre-tribulation rapturists and post-tribulation rapturists uh, both recognize that uh, passage that Jesus speaks there, that it pertains to the rapture. And as we looked at it back when we studied the letter to the church at Philadelphia, we notice concerning this hour of trial that it is called the trial. It, is, it will be unique in human history. Jesus said it shall come. In other words, this trial is future. It lies beyond the church age. Uh, he refers to this time as the uh, hour of trial. In other words, the, the length of this period is, is limited. Uh, this trial is going to come upon the whole earth. It's going to encomp uh, encompass the entire earth. And the purpose of this tribulation period uh, is to test not Christians, but those who dwell on the earth. And, and it's referring to the unsaved. And Jesus cl clearly differentiates between them and the church of, of Philadelphia, representing uh, Christians, and all of, uh, uh, of which characterizes what is known as the seven-year tribulation period described in, in chapters uh, 6 through 19 uh, of this book. Jesus makes the specific promise to the church at Philadelphia and, and uh, uh, to those Christians that are faithful to Him in that way, I will also keep you from the hour of of uh, trial. A very powerful verse to support the pre-tribulation rapture view that He will keep us uh, from that hour of trial that is to come upon the entire earth. He does not say to them, I will keep you through the hour of trial. He says, I will keep you from the hour of trial. I will keep you out of the hour of trial. And in the original language, in the Greek language, there are many who say that the Greek word can just as accurately be translated as through, but it simply cannot. It means out of, and it means from only. He made a promise not to keep us uh, through the tribulation period, but to keep us out of the tribulation period. A third thing that's important to understand in all of this is that the supreme purpose of the seven-year tribulation period, uh, it has to do with Israel. It doesn't have to do with uh, the church, even though people will get saved during the tribulation uh, period. And a lot of confusion in terms of 
understanding end times or understanding this is people get God's plan for uh, the Jewish people and, and His plan for the church. Uh, they merge them, or worse yet, uh, they, they take and say the church has replaced the Jewish uh, uh, people in terms of, uh, of prophecy and then, uh, and then interpret in that, in that kind of a way. And the post-tribulation view uh, frequently confuses the program of God uh, for the Jewish people with God's program for the church. And they're two very different things uh, in many ways. In fact, a, 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 lot, of, uh, a lot of that doctrinal error, uh, again, is because people think that the church has replaced Israel uh, uh, completely in the plan of God. But uh, that's not true. In Romans chapter 11, verse 1, Paul wrote in this vein, he said, I say then, has God cast away His people? Speaking of the Jewish people. Certainly not. For I, am, uh, I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away His people whom He foreknew. God is not through with His dealings with the Jewish people as a unique block of people in the world. Everyone still has to be saved the same way, but He has prophecies related to them that uh, apply to them and not to the church. Now, for instance, in terms of this confusion uh, of interpreting things, the post-tribulation uh, view has the 144,000, which we'll get to in, in chapter uh, 7, representing the church. But uh, uh, John goes to great pains to reveal the fact that the 144,000 are not Christians at all in, in, the, in the sense of, of uh, 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 representing the church, but they are clearly male, virgin uh, Jews. And, and certainly they'll be born again, but it, 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 we're dealing with Jews there and not dealing with the church. In Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7, the tribulation period is called the time of Jacob's trouble. And Jacob is a reference to Israel. Jacob is the father of the twelve tribes uh, of, of Israel. It is the time of Jacob's trouble. It is God's dealing principally with the Jewish people. In Daniel chapter 9, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 24 through 27, uh, Daniel, uh, the, the angel speaks to Daniel uh, of the 77s uh, which are going to come upon his people, the Jewish people, including the 70th seven, the final seven-year period that constitutes uh, the tribulation period. And, and he speaks of uh, uh, them, that final seven-year period, as being upon your people. And who were Daniel's people uh, the Jews. Jesus, when He taught in His uh, Olivet Discourse, and He speaks of the tribulation, and when He speaks of the tribulation period, He doesn't speak of it in terms of the church. He speaks of it in the context uh, of the Jews. He said, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, Whoever reads, let him understand. And then let those who are in Judea fly, flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. No Christian would have a problem with fleeing any distance on the Sabbath. This is Jew Jewish territory that he's talking uh, about. For there will be uh, great tribulation such as not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. Now, the post-trib and the mid-tribulationist view as well as the pre-wrath view, they do not allow for 
the Bible's teaching that the rapture of the church is something that, that uh, we as Christians are to live in an understanding that it is imminent, that it could happen at any time, that it's impending. According to uh, the post-tribulation view and the mid-tribulation view and the pre-wrath views, the rapture cannot happen at any time because it cannot happen until the tribulation period begins. And, and more specifically, until the Antichrist is revealed. And uh, Jesus couldn't come back <clears throat> uh, today according to that teaching. Because those teachings would have us watching and waiting for the Antichrist is the next step in the prophetic sequence as opposed to watching and waiting uh, solely for the coming of Christ. And so then what would we do with passages like uh, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1? <clears throat> but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, Paul writes, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and the sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. And therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, um, uh, verse 8, uh, where, uh, again, as I had read earlier, for from you the word of the Lord sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything for they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the true and the living God and to wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Uh, Paul wrote to Titus in the same vein, Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So even in Paul's day, uh, who were they looking for? Were they looking for the Antichrist to appear in human history at any moment? They were not. And Paul uh, exhorted them and exhorts us that that's not our, uh, our perspective. But we are looking for Jesus' return for the church, and it can happen at any moment. And this is how uh, the rapture is handled all the way through First and Second Thessalonians and, and elsewhere as an imminent event that it could happen at any moment. Jesus taught the same thing when He closed His Olivet Discourse on uh, the night before His uh, crucifixion. And He was speaking there concerning the end of the age in, uh, in, in Matthew chapter 24. He closes... Uh, chapter 24, uh, it, 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 in closing, chapter 24, verse 42, Jesus closes all of this instruction, watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. And then verse 44 in that same chapter, therefore you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect Him. So there's always this building within our lives that we're to be watching and waiting for the return uh, of Jesus Christ. You have Jesus then as He goes into Matthew chapter 25 
and instructing us as Christians concerning how uh, the revelation that He gives concerning the last days is to impact us. And His teaching in His parable of the ten virgins, He declares, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. And so it's always to be viewed on our part as an imminent event, that the rapture of the church could happen at any uh, time. And the other views would make these um, exhortations of Jesus uh, to be found watching and waiting for His imminent return uh, to rapture of the church. It would make all of those uh, exhortations to be uh, vain presently. Because only the pre-tribulation rapture allows for the rapture to be imminent, uh, imminent daily expectation in the life of a Christian that God uh, wants it to be. We're not looking for the Antichrist uh, to know that Jesus' return is, is near, but looking for Jesus Christ. And so the post-tribulation view, which kind of teaches that the rapture of the church and the second coming are all kind of part of uh, virtually uh, two parts of the same event that Jesus comes in the air he raptures the church at the end of the seven year tribulation period to himself uh, into the air with him and then immediately turns around and returns to the earth to accomplish his uh, second coming but if both of those events happen uh, almost uh, simultaneously, we would know the day of the rapture because Daniel records the day of Messiah's second coming. In Daniel chapter 11, uh, 12, verse 11, and from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. And once the abomination that causes desolation occurs, that is the Antichrist allows the Jews to rebuild their temple in the first three and a half years of the tribulation period, once it's built at the halfway mark of the tribulation period, he will walk into the Holy of Holies, he will sit down and declare himself to be God and demand to be worshipped as God. That is the abomination that causes desolation. It defiles uh, that temple uh, completely. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, the Lord declared through Daniel that if you were to be in the tribulation period at that time and witness that event and find it reported in the Modesto B, you could simply count out 1,290 days and that would be the day of the second coming and with the post-tribulation view, the day of the rapture as well. It would cease to be a date that we, we didn't know. And additionally, if the rapture and the second coming occur at virtually the same time, there would be no need for a period of judgment for, uh, in order to separate the sheep from the goats uh, uh, among the human population heading into the millennial age. Uh, as Daniel recorded and as Jesus himself spoke about. Because if the rapture happens at virtually the same time as the second coming, the separation between the sheep and the goats, uh, practically speaking, would happen as a result of the two events occurring simultaneously. Now, there has to be a separation uh, between those, uh, those two uh, events. And then finally, I can't help but be uh, impacted by uh, at how closely the common traditions associated with Jewish weddings at the time of Jesus' public ministry and the writing of the New Testament epistles and how it parallels the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. In our culture, we go to a wedding and a wedding ceremony uh, occurs over a period of several hours. So there's the, the preparation and then there is the, the, the ceremony itself and then some kind of a dinner or dancing and whatever that happens uh, afterwards. But a Jewish wedding ceremony was very, very different. 
it would probably be wrong to call it a ceremony. It was a, 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 a progression because it was a progression of many events over a period of days. The first thing that was a, a, a characterized a, a wedding, Jewish wedding progression, first is that there was a betrothal. And there are three steps in, in that betrothal. The prospective groom would travel from his father's house to the house of his prospective bride. While he was there, he would pay the purchase price for his bride. And he would, as a result, establish the wedding covenant or commitment. Jesus did this very thing in his relationship with his bride, the church, when he came from his house to our home, the home of his prospective bride, to the earth in his incarnation. And then he purchased us with his blood, and we are now uh, betrothed to him as a chaste virgin uh, in order to one day become his bride. After having done that, the groom would then return to his father's house where he would remain separate from the betrothed. And during that time, he would prepare the living accommodations for his bride. And he would, he, he would uh, prepare the living accommodations in his father's house. And this is what Jesus is doing for us presently. In John chapter 14, verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. The third part of the progression was having prepared a place for uh, her in his Father's house. The groom would then return for his bride. But he would return for his bride not at a time in which she knew he was coming nor at a time in which even he knew uh, that uh, he, he was coming. It was the, always the Father who decided when everything was ready and only he knew the timing. A and thus she would always have to live in readiness for the return of her uh, groom to keep the oil in her lamp ready in case he came at night and... and uh, uh, all of this is yet future for us as Christians in terms of Jesus. We don't know the day of the rapture, and thus we're told to be watching and waiting for it as a bride on her wedding day. All of the imagery is Jewish imagery that they would have readily understood uh, in, in the culture in which all of this was being taught. And then finally, the groom would come, take her from her home, return with her to his father's house, and in order to then uh, consummate the marriage, celebrate the wedding feast. The wedding feast would occur for seven days, corresponding to the seven-year tribulation period. During that time, the bride would be hidden away in her bridal chamber. Uh, heaven is going to constitute our uh, bridal chamber for seven years. And then after uh, which, the bride would then come forth with her uh, husband, even as we will return to the earth with Jesus at his second coming in order to reign with him during the kingdom age, the thousand year reign of Christ. And it is a pre tribulation rapture view uh, that's a perfect match to the Jewish culture that Jesus spoke to uh, related to marriage and, and the wedding uh, progression. Now, I, I warned you, admittedly, we got into the weeds a little bit this morning, but very, very important uh, to do. There's an old joke about the Christian who kind of lightheartedly dismissed the importance of all of this. And uh, when he was asked whether he was uh, premillennial or postmillennial in his views of, of eschatology, the study of end times, he declared himself to be panmillennial. He says, I believe it'll all pan out in the end. And so uh, we can all laugh at that and, uh, because it, at least it keeps us from uh, viewing Christians who hold a different view than us uh, as being the enemy in, in some way. But the fact of the matter is the conclusion that we come to 
in terms of these things that we're talking about, the rapture of the church and the timing of the rapture uh, of, of the church is a, a very, very far-reaching uh, decision. It is massively important. Where you d- decide to put the rapture in the understanding of the Scripture is going to determine how you interpret vast sections of uh, the book of Isaiah or the book of Ezekiel or the book of Zechariah or sections uh, uh, of uh, the Gospels, First and Second Thessalonians, and uh, uh, Daniel and Joel, and, uh, and to say nothing of what in the world you would do with this revelation of Jesus that He gives us is the final uh, book of the Bible. And so it does pan out in the end for every uh, Christian uh, uh, that is, that's not in play in terms of how we interpret all of this, uh, but how we understand the Scriptures and massive sections of the Scripture is in play. And the question isn't whether God prevails or all of this is going to take place. It will all take place. But the question is, what kind of, of quality of Christian life in terms of peace, in terms of, of comfort, in terms of, uh, of joy and hope that we, uh, uh, that we experience and God desires us to experience between now and the end and the fulfillment of all of this. Additionally, all of this is intended to be more than uh, an academic uh, exercise where we look and say, well, I really don't need to understand any of that kind of stuff. And so anybody starts to talk about the rapture or uh, end times of the millennial kingdom, I just kind of fold up my tent and, and think about what kind of freebies they're, they're feeding people with in the aisles at Costco. That was pre-COVID. That illustration doesn't uh, work today. But, but the rapture of the church is intended to have three very practical impacts upon our lives. One of it is it produces a needed influence to live a holy life. When I realize that the rapture of the church could happen at any moment, then it will be of some consideration for me that I want to be found in a proper place when, and living an obedient life to Christ when that happens. It also produces a needed urgency within our lives. The fact that this could happen at any time to realize that the opportunity that we have to share the gospel with people, the opportunity that we have to serve the Lord and His calling within the body of Christ, that that is a very finite period of time that will be lost to us one day. And so it produces an urgency that we need and it keeps us from falling asleep uh, to the Great Commission as Christians. And then thirdly, it's a source of great uh, comfort in our lives as we watch things grow worse and worse in the world, as we see uh, prophecy being fulfilled all around uh, us. We know that the Lord's return is drawing uh, closer and closer and we're able to comfort one another with these words, with the knowledge as we see these things unfolding, that today could be the day. Uh, There's a world of difference in terms of the quality of a Christian's life to look at every single day and say, today could be the day that Jesus returns, as opposed to, uh, today could be the day that the Antichrist gets revealed. You think about the hope uh, the, the anticipation, the excitement, the comfort that is instantly removed from our lives uh, a, apart from uh, understanding Him to be coming at any moment in which He wants us uh, to understand it in that way. So the impact is very practical within our lives and not just an academic exercise, though it can feel like that this morning. Uh, if, if you got uh, lost in all of this. Today could be the day 
And I love how Tommy Ice put it, as I heard him years ago introduce a teaching on uh, the rapture. He said, what problem do you have in your life that wouldn't be solved by the rapture? They all get solved. They all get solved. It's a blessed, uh, blessed hope. Let's stand together now and we'll close in prayer. Father, we thank you for not only for the fact that all of this is going to be and is our portion presently as Christians, but we thank you, Lord, that um, for the impact that all of this has upon our understanding of you, our relationship with you, how we process the headlines in life every day, how we process the condition uh, of the world, how a, a heart of the bride for a groom is nurtured by your Holy Spirit within us. And we just take this time that we've looked at in your word and your key to understanding the book of Revelation, and we just commit it to you, Lord, and ask that you continue to build all of this into a working, impactful uh, place within our lives. Jesus, we are um, happy to... Uh, report from our own hearts that we are looking for you and we are looking for you to come back at any time thank you for providing us with this blessed hope thank you for the comfort that it supplies to us thank you for bring being our groom thank you for making us your bride what a day it will be Lord and thank you this morning the sacrifice, Jesus, that you have made in order to betroth us to yourself. And we thank you in your name. In Jesus' name, amen.